0: Michael Yao Show.
1: Hey, what's up guys? It's me, Michael Yo, Welcome to the podcast. First of all, I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for all the love on America's Got Talent. Yes, believe it or not, I was on the show last week just going after my dream of being a stand-up comic and you guys, I mean, the love is coming in. Me and my wife and Kids, our, our whole family is blown away. Even my parents are blown away. My mom is like, oh, so many people like you. I never thought that could happen. I'm not making fun of Asian people. My mom's Korean. She sounds like that. If you don't believe me, check out the videos she made on this Facebook page. But thank you so much for all the love. This is what I need you to do. Uh, we don't know if we're moving forward or not. So we're waiting for the judge cuts. I think that's that, I don't think. I know that's the next round. So. We're waiting on that call to see if we make it to the next round, but I do know they are looking at how many times people look at your videos. So please, 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 I have the link on this. Share my YouTube video this week. I want everybody to share my YouTube video as much as possible, trying to get it up to a million. You know, Uh, and I love you guys for it, and thank you for the support on AGT. It means so much to me and my family. I I can't say enough. I am absolutely blown away by your kindness. Now, what I love to do on this podcast is I don't just have on comedians. I have on all types of people. I, this is a learning experience. It's, um, you get some inspiration from it. You, li- you learn how to live a better life. And I will say this, I had Dr. Kate on probably a month and a half ago. This is not too long after I got out of the hospital and I thought I was a healthy guy till I read her book, Fat Burn Fix and uh, deep nutrition. And then I found out there were a lot of holes in what I did. I lost a bunch of weight at the hospital and everybody was like, well, you're going to gain all that weight back. And I was like, well, I don't know. And I read her books. I had her on and I followed exactly what she said. And I'm happy to say I've kept off all the weight and actually losing a little bit more because I'm getting healthier. But What she said last podcast was pretty amazing. She goes, hey, you'll get to a point where you can go five to six hours without eating and you won't be starving or hangry, as you call it. And it's so true. It's so true. I'm I'm at about, I'm not gonna lie to you, I'm not at the five, six hour mark. I am at a solid four and a half, two, five mark. So everything is going great. And today's podcast was so important. There's a lot of misinformation out there that you need to know about. And that's why I like Dr. Kate to come in and kind of break them down. And today we're gonna be talking about the five biggest sports nutrition myths. Now, you know, I love working out. I, I, I used to, I will say used to take the protein powders. I used to do a lot of things I don't do now after talking to Dr. Kate. So let me introduce her right now. Dr. Kate, how are you?
0: I'm good. Thank you so much for having me on. Congratulations on your success last
1: week. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much. Well, you know why I have you on. First of all, I love you. You're so informative. But what you told me a month and a half ago, I've I've taken to heart. Uh, I really implemented it in my in my life and my wife has too. And we're both, Great. you know, leaning up and staying healthy. And a lot of people out there, we have problems. I'm going tell you, before I thought I was a healthy guy. I really thought I was being healthy. But until... I read your book Fat Burn Fix and Deep Nutrition. I was doing things I thought was healthy but really wasn't healthy. So thank you so much for that.
0: Hey, that's what this is why we need these these great books yes. <laughs> back here. Yeah so uh, well c- and congratulations also on being able to switch it out like that so so quickly and and make it work for your your whole family uh, hopefully right and this habit change is always hard but um, you know having the right information is is key to making it as
1: easy as possible. Now Dr. Kata, I got a bunch of new friends from AGT that like to watch the Facebook page and I appreciate all you guys coming in. So just real quickly, sum up what you told me last time so people can be on board so then we can move forward.
0: So the reason that people get really sick from the coronavirus is if they're especially if they're under 65 is because their immune system is supercharging in the wrong direction. It's their body fat is making their immune system produce way too much inflammation. You need just the right amount of inflammation in the right place at the right time in order for your body to kill off the viruses. But when you've been eating, the way we're told to eat is the way that Harvard and Tufts and Yale, they want us to eat more of these things that we call seed oils, high polyunsaturated oils they go by a lot of names just to keep it confusing but you know like corn and and soy oil is the most common ones even canola what they those the polyunsaturated the fats from these things they are they build up in your body fat tissue in the structure of your tissue and so that when you're sick and you're not eating they get released back into your bloodstream and they're unstable. They react with oxygen. They react with all the enzymes your immune system is trying to use to kill the virus. And they turn against you and they promote inflammation. They give you blood clots. This is how people are getting these serious complications of strokes. Like young people in their 30s are, are, are coming out of coronavirus where they now they've had a stroke. They have permanent brain damage, and it's causing uh, the infl- dramatic inflammation in the lungs. That's even causing some scarring where people have to go on intensive care units. And this is why you occasionally see the person who looks a lot like you, perfectly mm-hmm. healthy, but they're like, I, I almost died from Corona. I was in the intensive care unit. And some people are actually dying. And it's not that they have too much body fat. It's that what's in their body fat is pro-inflammatory and almost kills them when they have to fight off an infection. And the, but the other thing that it's doing, so this is not, a, this is not a new thing. It's not like everything was fine until coronavirus came along. No, we have this epidemic of obesity and diabetes. I, I just heard that if you count overweight and obesity together, something like 60% or 70%, some credible percentage of adults in this country are, affected by it. That means they're metabolically unhealthy and half have prediabetes and diabetes. And it's because of these seed oils, because of the way they affect your metabolism.
1: And I will say this, I got rid of all the seed oils and it's interesting how when you take something away and after you go about three weeks, your body doesn't miss it at all. Like it's so weird that right now I used to be addicted to fries. Like that, that, to me, that was my cheat meal, fries. And now when I eat a fry, like one fry, it's mushy, it's disgusting, I can't eat it anymore. Uh, When when I I don't drink coffee anymore, I know you drink coffee, Dr. K, and I know there's nothing wrong with coffee, but Mm -hmm. for some reason with my body, I'm drinking a lot of matcha teas and a lot of chai teas, but with my body, it works, it's working so well. And I just feel a lot better. I used to think there's no way I can make it a day without coffee. Now, the thought of me having an espresso shot, I remember I had one, I thought I needed it probably two weeks ago, and literally, it messed me up so bad, because I haven't had it. Yeah, I was just jittery, I was jumping, my heart started beating faster, I was (laughs) like, oh this is why I was so stressed. (laughs) Yeah, Having five cups a day and shots and stuff like that. It really did it to me. So for everybody watching right now, why I love doing this live on Facebook Live is that you can actually ask questions. Anything we're talking about, feel free to type in the comment section and we'll try to get your question on. I'm a one man show over here. So I'll try to read the questions while Dr. Kate is talking as well. So if you have any question about health, please leave a comment below. Now. Before we get into the five uh, myths of sports nutrition, I do want to talk about COVID real quick. Um, It seems to be going up in America, but the one thing I hear on TV a lot is for people that have been infected like myself, that have the antibodies like myself, they they always say, we don't know if you can't catch it again. And I'm like, okay, I, I figured enough people would have it that would, be in a scenario where they could re-catch it. So, how long does this take to actually find out if we can catch corona again after we've caught it already once?
0: It's they're gonna have to do research. You know, it's gonna take a couple of uh, probably at least a minimum of six months. You know, it's gonna have to have a huge number of people who actually do get reinfected. Now, so far we don't have any reason to believe that this virus is different than any other virus right and every other virus once you've had it you can't get that virus again unless it mutates significantly to look differently to your immune system so that usually takes a lot of time so the the flu we really actually we do get pretty much the same flu every year it's just that it mutates and so it mutates and then some more people can get sick. And so that's how it survives. And then it mutates again and again. And the flu is really good at mutating. That's how come it comes back every year. Um, but the coronavirus is like a cold virus and it, it mutates. And then we can't, you know, we can't see it again. Our immune system can't see it again. But then it's also not the same virus again, the infection is going to be different. So um, it might be more mild, hopefully. And that's generally the course for most viruses is they tend to be more and more mild. And That might be what's happening here in Florida, especially where we're having massive numbers of more cases, like something like 10 times more cases. But um, the hospitals are getting busier, but only in certain places and and not like more busy than they were at the previous peak back in um, April, March, April. So and we are we're having way more cases, like more than 10 times more. But of course, we are testing more, so we might just be diagnosing more of these milder cases. So it's it's hard to say. We're not going to okay, know what's so happening.
1: Okay, so that's you brought up a good point from a doctor's standpoint. When you have people saying, "Of course, there's going to be more cases because we're testing more," that is true to a certain point. But that doesn't mean the the level of people being positive though needs to go up because you could test everybody right now for malaria. And you're not gonna get a huge positive sign of malaria. So <laughs> what how does a doctor look at this? Because I hear some doctors like, well, yeah, if you test more, you're gonna give more cases back. But it's it's this is I, I hear both sides trying to take this fact and kind of set their own tone for it. So what is your take on it?
0: Well, when we're talking about a pandemic, you know, and, and the whole point of it is that it's hugely prevalent in the population right now and when we have that's it's a totally different conversation than we're talking about like you said malaria right like <laughs> it, you could let's let's take what you just said about malaria and compare what the results would be right here in the united states versus where they would be somewhere where it's uh, the word for what for, for it is endemic, which means like it's it's almost always in the population. Pandemic mm-hmm. means it's now it's around the world. But so, so- a flu
1: would be an endemic.
0: Uh, flu is if, an epidemic.
1: Epidemic, Okay. All right.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's an epidemic because it has an outbreak every year of okay, a gotcha. different strains. So that's kind of different. But malaria, if we test, so say we test everybody in Florida, I don't think anybody's going to have malaria here. Um, unless they just came back from a place where you can actually catch malaria, which is South America or Africa. So now let's say you go to a South American country where they have a lot of malaria. Um, they have a lot of malaria and they don't, test everybody very often. So, so if you have more people with the disease than you have who have access to the test, you're going to find that the numbers go up the more that you increase your capacity to test, right? So it's just, there's got to, there's a relationship between how common the thing is versus how useful the test is. It's not useful to do a malaria test here because nobody has malaria, but it's useful to do a coronavirus test because we don't, we we have so many people having the coronavirus and we don't even we haven't even gotten a handle on how many it is so we can't even keep up you have to do at least the um like the amount of um people who might have the virus to 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 see like if you want to know how many people actually have at any given time you have to test a huge portion of the population so that it's statistically significant so and you have to be a statistician to answer that the statisticians are kind of helping a lot of the interpretation of what's happening now, but I think the statisticians have done a terrible job at predicting what's going to happen, not because the, they're bad with numbers, but because they're bad with physiology. And I don't think there's been enough um, doctors like that are experienced with the actual flu and the variation in the possibility of response of one person to the same virus versus their neighbor to the same virus. So the epidemiologists, they just they just look at the numbers. They don't look at the dif- the nuances that doctors that are that are actually practicing physicians like myself and Doctor um, Doctor Drew Pinsky, whose show I've been on a number of times, talking about this and how the wrong people are doing a lot of the talking um, to understand what's actually happening now. So the epidemiologists are are like they're really good at figuring out what happened and when the same kind of thing has happened a number of times, they are sort of good at predicting the numbers, the numerical effect of it, right? So they could they predicted that this thing, um, this coronavirus was going to spread like wildfire. And they got that right. It spread like wildfire. But where they weren't very accurate was the radical differences in how one person with coronavirus is going to be impacted compared to the next person. And because there's a huge, huge variation. I mean, that's why a lot of doctors at the beginning were getting like practically they were getting death threats for saying oh it's it's very much like a flu and and they didn't mean it for any political gain they're just trying to help compare it to the vast variation in the reality of the fact is that the flu virus can be deadly and it is deadly every year it's deadly and we don't shut down the economy but there's you know some people can be infected with the flu not even know it and transmit the flu to like their 85 year old grandmother who will die because she got the flu and she's eighty-five, that happens every. So, but year you're talking
1: right now about early on. Now nobody would say that that has any sense. It's like what, the that flu. would say what that Corona is like the flu.
0: Oh no, it is like the flu, and and this how is, is what it? I'm
1: but but the flu doesn't kill like what one hundred thirty thousand people in three months.
0: It in a bad flu year. If we didn't have vaccines, right? So this is this is kind of like well, we okay okay we lose the nuance, and it's very 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 important. If we didn't have vaccines for the flu, the flu would actually be more deadly than the coronavirus has been so far. The other thing about the flu that makes it different, but the- but
1: isn't it a bad comparison when people are comparing it to the flu? But knowing we have a vaccine, doesn't that give people that aren't educated? Uh, in the medical field, the wrong idea. And then now they're running around saying it's like the flu. The thing is you got a yeah. vaccine. Uh, it totally does.
0: It. it totally does. You have to say, wait, But, way, you, but Those people never say that.
1: Those yeah, people way, never say
0: Well, they okay. don't get the chance. They don't get the chance, right? Because they get cut off because everything is sound bites, right? Because
1: okay.
0: they like, is it like the flu? Yes or no? And then you get your, wait a second. Medicine is not meant to be uh, discussed in sound bites. And it, it's, there's nuance, there's there's uh, different, you know, there's all kinds of information that people need to be introduced to, to understand the concept. And so you're exactly right, it's the extreme. Some people take the same sentence and hear it one way versus the other way. But if they could just hear another follow-up sentence, like, okay, it's like the flu, if we didn't have a vaccine okay. for the
1: flu. <laughs> well, I want to to get to uh, a couple questions that are coming in right now. Remember, if you're watching the podcast right now on Facebook, you can uh, send in a question in the comment section. This is for me. Nakisha Kroom says, if you don't mind me asking, Michael, do you have any underlying health issues, blood pressure, diabetes? And I will say, Nakisha, no, I don't. That's why this kind of took me by surprise. But I, I was supposed to meet with a doctor that basically saved my life. But the corona blew up again in LA, in this area, so we had to push our meeting because I do want to go back to that same doctor, get a full physical. They're going to do CAT scans, MRIs, because I don't think I have an underlying condition, but after going through this, I'm going to do everything I can to find out now if I do have something.
0: So let me tell you something, Nikisha and Michael, right? So- The underlying condition that underlies what we have accepted as the underlying conditions here, which is diabetes, hypertension, fatty liver, Even migraines has now been added to the list. But the underlying, there is one underlying condition that's the common element uniting all of those, and that is body fat high and unstable PUFAs, that they promote inflammation that drive all these diseases. And so I talk about all of that in the fat burn fix. So it's just, I mean, the fat burn fix I wrote before the coronavirus. And that's what I'm saying is the underlying condition that is the reason we have so many people with obesity who are, um, you know, not... Uh, in the trouble that they're in with their health because they have a willpower problem, but because their body fat is full of inflammation and they don't feel good enough to be active and they they cannot use their body fat for energy. And when you can't use your body fat for energy, you're going to feel horrible and you're Uh definitely going to eat junk food and that's definitely going to just make you sicker. And so- It doesn't start out, though, as obesity. Like, we have this idea that you get overweight first and then diabetes. No, you actually develop prediabetes or even insulin resistance while you're normal weight. And that comes from the seed oils in your body fat. And and that's something that is not widely recognized or understood so that you can see a doctor and pay a lot of money to a fantastic doctor who's really good. But he doesn't know this about metabolism because it's not something that, we learn in medical school. You, I did it because I did my own continuing education on this particular topic. And there's a number of other doctors who, you know, who do this as well and who understand all this, but it's a tiny minority, less than uh, probably maybe like a hundred, 200 in the entire country.
1: Nakisha wrote back and said, I guess it's true. You are what you eat, right? Exactly,
0: <laughs> exactly. And we don't even know what we're eating these yeah. days. And this is also is like, how much of these oils are we eating? If you haven't been looking and trying to avoid avoid them, unless you make everything yourself from scratch, you're getting probably thirty to fifty percent of your calories from
1: them. So that's huge. What was that? What was that total amount of uh, seed oil most people were eating a year? How many pounds of seed oil?
0: Like, like eighty.
1: Eighty pounds of seed oil. 100%. You don't even realize you're drinking and taking in a year because of food. So um, I know this is all about the myths and I want to get to the myths right now because a lot of people are tuning in for that. Five sports nutrition myths. Let's start with, uh, let's go from five to one. Let's start with number five.
0: Okay. So low sodium. Let me just list them off first. So you need to eat low sodium. Okay. That's a myth. Um, Sugars and carbohydrates increase your performance. That's a myth. You gotta avoid cholesterol, that's a myth. You gotta avoid saturated fat, that's a myth. You gotta boost your protein by having all these protein powders, that's a myth.
1: I uh, will tell you this, and I said it earlier, I was all about the protein powders till I read your books. I don't take protein powders anymore and I, can, I can't tell you how much difference I feel. I just feel better, I don't feel weighted, I don't feel bloated, I everything I eat is natural. And I've always been right. healthy, and, and you're trained to think protein powders are healthy, you know? And even these other products that you put in your coffees or you put in different things, you, you in your mind, they're healthy because you're told they're healthy, but they're really not.
0: No, they're absolutely not. They're a massively processed – you can't process it any further and still have it be edible, I mean, you process it more, and it and it gets just like it disappears, or it's glue, or something like that. But um, yeah, so uh, so we'll start with the, the low sodium. Okay. Okay. So yeah, so sports nutritionists tell you you got to watch your salt because that's what they learn in di- all, all dietitians, all nutritionists will tell you that, and they say that is the case because sodium is going to. Um, well, here, let me just actually read straight from Harvard, okay? Straight from uh, the God, as far as like doctors are concerned when it comes to um, knowledge on nutrition advice. Uh, It says here in sodium and health, in most people, the kidneys have trouble keeping up with excess sodium in the blood, okay? Right off the bat, that is a a complete non-scientific statement. What does that mean? The kidneys have trouble keeping up with excess sodium? What are they What are they talking about? It is nonsensical. So already we're like, but it's got an emotion there. The kidneys have trouble keeping up. So the kidneys are getting, my kidneys are getting behind the eight ball. Oh, that sounds bad. Um, whatever eight ball, I have no idea. As hmm. sodium accumulates, the body holds onto water to dilute the sodium. Okay. Now, if that were true, you could run this experiment. You could run it right now. You could have uh, you know something salty tasting, or have just straight up, straight up salt, and um, and see what happens. Does your does your body start bloating? Do you start getting puffy? Do you does your blood pressure go up immediately? I mean, it doesn't. It doesn't happen. And the fact is that Harvard is just a mouthpiece for the worst. Fat, fake food, bad food manufacturers that there are. And I'm sorry to have to say this. Harvard does a lot of fantastic research in other areas, but when it comes to nutrition and metabolism, they are bought and sold by big business. Here's an actual. Um, scientific take on on the story of salt. and it comes from it, you're never going to see it from Harvard, the Mayo Clinic, or Tufts. It has to come from people who actually do research and read literature and are are trying to get to the truth. So this is from Healthline. Um, and I just googled salt, good or bad. And the first thing that came up was Healthline. Health organizations have been warning us about the dangers of salt for a long time. True. That's because high salt intake has been claimed to cause a number of health problems, including high blood pressure and heart disease. Also true. It has been claimed. However, decades of research have failed to provide convincing evidence to support this. And they have a citation and the citation is to you know, a PubMed journal that has been peer reviewed and uh, has been st- has stood up to extreme scrutiny and this isn't the only like such you know such article there's been articles like this for year after
1: year well after how can year. how can harvard get away with putting something out like that and people not calling them out or the general community not caring
0: <laughs> yeah so they can get away with it cuz they have the money they've got the media on a lockdown you know i mean how many times have you heard an expert from harvard talking about nutrition or from anywhere right that they they go to the ivy leagues and uh, you know because that is the authority and and they don't realize that the authorities are bought and sold when it comes to nutrition their function is to sell cheap junk food to sell processed food nothing else their nutrition departments if they have one um it's it's paid for by big business, but they're gonna—they're not gonna tell you that, of course. But that's where they get their money—is—is—is is, is, you know, grants that come from uh, Conagra or from Unilever or from Kraft to just help sell more of their processed food. That's—that's that's what we live on in this country. That's what this country wants us to live on. And guess—guess guess why the the uh, the doctors aren't outraged? Patients make them um, money. Yeah. We, don't, we don't make money when we keep our patients healthy. We don't make more money by keeping them out of the hospital. We make more money when we do procedures, whether they're unnecessary or not. So this is why we have the nutrition lies, because the only people who care are the victims and are the victims in any position to sort it
1: out? Hardly. No. OK. <laughs> All right. So what's the next one on your list?
0: Okay. So low sodium total. I, um, boom, <laughs> never talk about that again. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, sugars and carbs increase your performance. So the reason they tell you that sugar and carbs increases your performance is because most of the studies are funded of course, by Gatorade and people trying to sell you, um, sugary drinks. Now, how can they make it, how can they, how does this lie get to go so deep? Like how, and and I'll tell you, it's a, it's got to do with our body fat because athletes need to be able to burn their body fat for energy, right? All of these lies, actually, what they have in common is they block the athlete's ability to get energy from their body fat in one way or the other, directly or indirectly. Now sugar does this very directly because when you have something sweet, the sweet taste and the sugar in your bloodstream will shoot your insulin up. Insulin is a hormone. The job is to get your blood sugar back to normal because your blood sugar level is highly regulated. If your blood sugar is much over normal, For any length of time, the sugar's sticky. It starts to stick to your tissues. It causes joint inflammation and it, you know, damages your tissues too. Um, So that insulin, what it does, the hormone insulin at high levels, it locks your body fat in the fat under your skin. It locks it in the fat closet. Some people call it the fat closet. So that you will not release body fat for energy for a good amount of time now, unless you're producing a ton of the counter hormone, like uh, cortisol will help you burn your body fat, even when there's a lot of insulin around, as will adrenaline. This is why it helps to get like revved up and psyched up. Because even if you just had a bunch of sugar, it still helps you to burn your body fat, all that, all that adrenaline, but you need massive amounts of it, you're going to run out. So if you're playing basketball, um, you know, you're riding on adrenaline for the first half. That's what they told me, um, and when I because I used to consult for the Lakers, mm-hmm. so they said by the second half they would just they would all be like needing caffeine or reaching for the sugar, and so I worked with them to get them to burn their body fat, and they had much more energy the second half, and so that part of the biggest part of it is getting rid of this idea that you have to have sugary drinks because every time you have one, you're locking your body fat in your fat closet and you're depriving yourselves of being able to burn it for energy.
1: It shuts down your energy. Yeah, I actually saw a nice little quote from Kobe about you saying that after working with you for like a year, he really could tell a difference in his game. Rest in peace, Kobe Bryant, that was so sad. sad. Yeah, but you you did work for the Lakers and uh, you did their nutrition for the Lakers. Uh, and you found out, I remember you saying this, you found out that they had terrible habits, just like normal people.
0: Sure. Because they were told like all these terrible things that I'm, I'm going to go off are totally compatible with living off of candy and soda and a lot of junk food, especially if the junk food happens to say low now with less sodium right on the front. So that, that alone is kind of should be a red flag that, you know, you can buy junk food that hits all these five highlights I'm going to, I'm going to hit. Um, so, but you know, Kobe, said something that was very smart and that um, eludes a lot of sports dietitians. And that is, um, he said that, I don't believe that a diet that is bad for your performance can be good for your body. And mm-hmm. so because the sports dietitians will say, OK, no, no, no. I know other people shouldn't eat so much sugar, or so much carbohydrate. But you have to because sugar is the perfect fuel for your sport, for your, your you know, for muscles. Um, but it's so Kobe didn't believe it. So he was he like just came into, you know, knowing that somehow he figured it out himself. So he, he was very bright.
1: All right. So what's your next one?
0: Protein powders. So. Oh,
1: yeah, so, yeah that's me. <laughs> that was me.
0: Yeah, right, and they, they they wash them down with a little more sugar too, right? And mm-hmm. just throw it in your fruit smoothie, right? It's uh, again, sugar, protein powders. So uh, protein powders are bad for you for at least three reasons. So one is that they are basically pre-digested and so they they womp into your bloodstream very quickly. They are sticky. If you've ever tried to stir up a protein powder, it clumps together. So just like sugar causes problems when it's at high levels, so do protein powders. They they break down into something called amino acids. Amino acids are sticky. Um, And so that's one reason. Another reason is because um, the protein powders will also bump your insulin, right? And so Uh just like sugar will lock your fat in, uh, in the fat closet so you can't burn it for fuel for a little while, so will the protein powders. And thirdly, um, the idea they're sold on the idea that you got to get something into your system, into your bloodstream within 30 minutes after a workout, because if you don't, your muscles are going to start breaking down, right? Like your muscle break down your
1: muscle. Is that true or false? I've heard that so much.
0: Yes, right. It is actually the opposite is true. What's happening is your muscles start this process of remodeling, which is part of building back up. OK, so it's not like exercise breaks your muscles down. If that were the case, then, you know, the people who did any activity at all back before we had protein powders, they would just waste away into nothing. You know, you would go into uh, like up and visit the Eskimos and, you know, they're like walking for days at a time between meals. Sometimes they would just be toothpicks. Right. But they're pretty cute and pudgy and they're, they're mm-hmm. like got these nice brown face. So, um, uh, that's probably a terribly racist sounding thing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry.
0: Keep going. Keep going. They are cute. <laughs> so they're definitely not toothpicks. So, yeah. um, so yeah, so that's like, I think that was three reasons. So it's just, a, it's just not true. What happens? Nature's not stupid. We, we do have to give our bodies protein on a regular basis, or we do start converting some protein into sugar to keep our blood sugar level normalized if we are in a starvation state, right? If we're not eating anything, yes, your muscles will start to break down after a while. Or if you have a chronic low protein diet, chronically low protein you're going to your muscles are going to start breaking down but it, you actually have they've done studies and they think that the window of uh, of opportunity so when you're exercising right you're creating a signal you're telling your body to build more muscle that's a lot of times why we exercise cuz we want to look all cut um so those that's an important signal if you didn't do that you might not be ever get cut no matter how much protein you ate but what that does is it tells tells your muscles okay we want to rebuild these particular muscles a little bit stronger because we we kind of we got it worked out to the max right it's a hard workout to failure they call it or fatigue Um, so your muscle starts remodeling itself. And yes, there is some breaking down that occurs, but even if you didn't eat anything, it would start building itself back up again. And the full window of opportunity when that building itself back back, because it's not like you break down your muscle and it just evaporates, right? You break it down. It's like taking a Lego thing apart, right? You still got the Legos there. So now you can just build it back up again. So that's what the muscle does. That's how it it responds so, to the stress.
1: So, are you saying there's no time limit? You know, because they say all the trainers say, "Oh, 30 minutes after you got to put protein into your body." So, what is the time? Is there a time or? Yes.
0: There is, yeah. So probably 24 to 48 hours, depending on your age, depending on how you know your genetics and how t- your, what your just general tendency is to build muscle. You know your sex too. Probably, probably women have a shorter window than men. But um, but that's a. I mean, who's not going to eat for 24 hours? Yeah. The great thing about exercise is it improves your appetite, so you get hungry for protein and savory stuff and just healthy food and that's the best time to um to retrain your appetites if you're trying to work on a sugar a sweet tooth if you um if you want to cut down your sugar consumption um to actually stop craving sugar and start craving the savory salty stuff which is usually really healthy high protein stuff like nuts and of course meat um, and eggs and stuff cheese um is to eat it when you get that appetite kick in after a workout
1: You know what, I noticed that since I got, since I've been following your books, I will go for lightly salted nuts. I will go for uh, meat, other types of things, instead of going for the usuals. You know, I had a sweet tooth, but even the sweet tooth is gone now. You know, it's crazy. It's only been like a month and a half, but literally I'm not taking in all those uh, seed oils. I'm not doing the sweets. So it, it really does, like if you follow it for a little bit, but. What's great about it. You don't even, to me, it wasn't a drastic change either. Good. You know, because,
0: because we're just taking out oil. Yeah. I mean, you're just taking out all oil. Graves
1: oil. All right. What do you got next?
0: So the next one is avoid cholesterol. So the, I, we, we have all been programmed. Okay. What
1: is cholesterol? Like okay. what is cholesterol? Uh, yeah. How do you avoid it?
0: Right. Okay. So cholesterol is a, Big flat molecule that stabilizes our cell membranes. Okay, so that's a chemical chemistry thing. Every but here's the important part about it. Every cell in your body needs it. If we evaporated our cholesterol, we would die. We would just we wouldn't we would be not even live a minute. Um, so your brain needs cholesterol more than any other tissue in your body actually, um, and so uh, that we make it. So if we, if even if we never ate any, if we were on an all plant diet, because plants don't have the same kind of cholesterol we do, so we don't call it cholesterol. They have something called plant sterols, sterol or cytosterol. Sounds similar. serves the same function, but they don't have what a dietitian would say cholesterol. So they would. That's why there is this whole push for a plant strong diet is because there was this there's this myth out there that cholesterol is unhealthy, but It's so necessary for life that if we never ate any, our cells would still make it. We can make it out of a lot of different spare parts. Like, you know, I said our bodies break down muscle into little Lego bits. Well, we break down a lot of stuff into stuff that's like little bits and we can build it back up in all kinds of cool ways. We can make our own cholesterol. So cutting cholesterol out of your diet, which you do. The high cholesterol foods are like um, eggs and butter, any animal fat is going to be pretty high in cholesterol. And the things that are highest, two things that are the highest in cholesterol are the most filling foods, egg yolks and liver, right? So cholesterol, it turns out, is such a good nutrient, so important that it makes us feel very satisfied. And you can stop eating sooner when you have uh, the the cholesterol-rich foods than if you cut like the egg yolks out you could probably eat like 10 a- egg whites but you'd be ha- sick of eggs or you'd be just totally just like okay i've had enough after five like if and, you that, had,
1: and that holds you, know. you that makes you full longer correct correct These type- okay
0: it's telling your brain we got lots of good stuff here you're you're good you don't need to think about food go think about something that's you know more fun do something else with your life
1: Okay, and the the last one, I think we're on the last one now?
0: Yes, avoid saturated fat. So the whole idea about avoiding saturated fat came from when we realized that you could cut people's cholesterol down to zero in their diet and it wouldn't affect their blood cholesterol like at all. Then we started saying, okay, well wait, what does affect your blood cholesterol? Then we determined saturated fat does. Now saturated fat does raise your cholesterol, as does monounsaturated fat and eating any any fat any like fatty thing the reason it raises your cholesterol is on purpose it's because now you've got to carry that fat through your bloodstream and cholesterol stabilizes the fat as it travels through your bloodstream. It's very important in preventing heart disease. And of course, here we are back with the opposites again, right? It's if if Harvard says something about nutrition, probably the exact opposite is the truth. So we actually are probably healthier when we have high blood cholesterol than we have low blood cholesterol. And I say probably because I'm, I just, I, It's just, I've been so programmed myself to like worry about high cholesterol numbers and stuff like that. But I I shouldn't say probably, we are like almost definitely (laughs) healthier when our cholesterol is higher. I've seen when people improve their, they get off diabetes meds, they get off every other medication that they were on. They, They go from having vision problems, this is how dramatic your diet can improve your health when you stop believing in these lies. Um, there was somebody who had bad vision. He had macular degeneration at an early age, something that normally affects people over 80 or only diabetics. He didn't have diabetes and he was not he was 40. And he stopped eating these seed oils and started eating a real diet and his vision came back. So it just goes to show you how many miraculous things can happen when you stop believing in these lies.
1: So why do doctors, when you go in, like, is there any proof that high cholesterol does do damage to you?
0: No, there's no credible proof. No there's credible a lot proof. of credible, right? So when you're funded by Pfizer, they do a lot of conniptions and things that make it look like it's proof. But if you really go step-by-step, step, what did they do? Okay, the, oh, I see. Oh, so they, first, thing, one of the things that they do is they they give the their cholesterol-lowering drugs, Pfizer and all the other companies, they give their cholesterol-lowering drugs to a whole bunch of people before the study starts. Anybody who has side effects, they're out of the study. That's called a run-in period.
1: Mm.
0: Can you believe that's even legal? I mean, they're they're eliminating people who will be the first to notice something. The studies are short compared to how long you're on the drugs, too, right? Like the longest study, I think, was five years. Well, I've had so many patients who have been on those drugs for 20, 30 years. Hmm. And in- in that time I mean what always I I just hate hearing when somebody's been on one of these drugs because so many your brain needs cholesterol we can't forget that it's like the most common mo- single molecule in your brain is cholesterol and when you've been on a cholesterol pill you slowly 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 you're depriving your brain and and it shrinks brain tissue in fact there, there there's rat studies Um, that they actually use cholesterol pills to induce um, an animal model of dementia. They use mm. cholesterol pills, not one that's on the market, one that's off market, so that yeah. nobody recognizes the connection here. But it's like, it's insane. And there's so much evidence that having high cholesterol, and this gets back to my patient I was mentioning, who was vision clear, his vision got better, his cholesterol numbers went up. His LDL, the so called bad cholesterol, not bad, it went up. It like doubled or tripled or something. And he was freaking out. But everything else was better. And that's because everything else in his life was better. His life was better. I mean, he was, he was able to sleep better. He was able to, you know, concentrate at work. He got promotions. I mean, it's just unbelievable what we've been deprived ourselves from.
1: So are you a fan of higher cholesterol, but not high cholesterol or cholesterol? It could be as high as you want.
0: I haven't seen any reason to put a particular number on it. Honestly, it's more about what you're eating. So there have been some people who do some pretty interesting things to basically to see how high they can get their cholesterol to go. And if you eat a really high fat, low carb diet, and then you f- fast off and on, it seems like you can get your cholesterol to like triple or quadruple to get up to close to, you know, 400. Your total could be close to 400. Yeah, um, and the so-called bad can be like in the 300s, but you can't really get it much higher than that unless you have a genetic disorder. And if you have a genetic disorder, um, we don't even know that that's bad as long as what you're eating is good. As long as you avoid the seed oils. All right, and I, smoke.
1: Okay. I got uh, some questions coming in. If you're watching this, uh, feel free to send a question. If you have one, that's why I love doing these things on Facebook live. And also this will be on the podcast in a couple of weeks. Uh, Faith says, so moderate to high cholesterol is less risky so long as one is of reasonable weight. Is that true, not true?
0: Um, it's it's less risky than, than, I'm not sure what, but like let's say she's saying moderate to high cholesterol is less risky than low cholesterol. Um, it, it, that very well could be the case. And does the weight matter? Well, not directly, I, I would say, you know, if you had a super healthy diet then the even if you were a little bit overweight it doesn't it doesn't impact you negatively if your diet is super healthy now if you get to a point where you're in the obesity uh, you know zone where it, you know your body fat percentage is like 30 40% um, that's not healthy either because it's just too much there but um, you know it's hard on your it's hard on your body to store that much fat, but I have to say that when I first was in medical school, um, way a long time ago, um, obesity had not been identified as a risk factor for heart disease or stroke all by itself. Right? It just hadn't. So, and back in those days, the seed oil consumption was like a third of what it is now, and the people who were dying did not grow up with seed oils in, in significant quantity. So, it was a whole different scenario. Like uh, overweight is is not in and of itself anywhere near as bad as eating these seed oils. So you, and I'm saying like, you could be significantly overweight if you never touched a seed oil, you had a very healthy diet. You do have to have a healthy diet with lots of vitamins and minerals and proteins and all the good stuff. But if you, let's say you did that and you were still obese, right? Because you just love food. You're just love it. Mm-hmm. And, um, you could be way healthier than somebody who is normal weight and actually looks cut. Like an athlete, if the percentage of polyunsaturated fatty acids in your body fat is normal, and the cut person has a super high percentage, like thirty percent.
1: Got you. Okay.
0: I I, on the overweight person.
1: I don't know this qu- anything about this question. I don't even know how to say this word. Trigger. I don't want to even. What is this?
0: Triglycerides. So those the
1: triglycerides. The- yeah. Okay. What is that?
0: So that's the fat that we measure in your blood. Like the fat, when you eat butter, it's in the form of triglycerides. So okay. when we start talking about fat, we start getting into chemical terms and stuff, and and I, I kind of roll my eyes just because it's like this is why the topic's confusing. Um, you know, because they make it confusing by bringing up these chemical terms. So tri, triglycerides are the fats in your bloodstream. So when you're when you um, when you eat a fatty meal, your body packages all the fats into um, these things, all the fatty acids into triglycerides, and then it combines it with cholesterol and some protein and it carries it all around in um, a sphere called a lipoprotein. So they can, te- when they do your blood cholesterol test, they always check your triglycerides. And that is a very important indicator of whether your health is good or bad because if you have high triglycerides it means there's something wrong with this whole fat delivery system maybe you're insulin resistant and your body doesn't want to pick up more fat because your fat cells are already over bloated and they're inflamed and they don't want to take up the fat they can't do it fast enough so the fat that you ate just basically stays in your bloodstream for a long time for too long an unhealthy amount of time um if your triglycerides are high it could also come from some other things um, like it, it, too much alcohol and too much fruit or too much sugar. It raises the fats in your blood, makes you insulin resistant. That's a very important um, question because triglycerides are so much more important to track and talk about than cholesterol. And most people don't even know what they are. Yeah, I
1: didn't even I, I've never <laughs> asked. for Now, so if somebody went to the doctor and said, track my triglycerides, how would they do that?
0: They'll just draw blood just like they do cholesterol. Yep. Mm
1: -hmm. And I was supposed to get my blood drawn, but things are crazy in LA, so I didn't get it done. But I can't wait to do another pod where you can go over my blood test. Oh, I'd
0: love to do that. And tell me what (laughs) I'm doing
1: wrong. Uh, I I think you went over the, any final words for the people, Dr. Kate? Um,
0: I would say that, um, I hope I haven't offended any uh, like dietitians or nutritionists because I know you mean well, right? I myself, learned and believed all five of these things. And it took quite an experience in awakening uh, to, to get over my, it was basically programming. I was programmed by big food as have doctors been for the past 50, 60, 70 years now. And so that's why doctors like sort of hands off about our interest in diet and nutrition, because when we give people the advice that we learned, it doesn't ever work. It often sometimes even makes them sicker. So, So, it, you know, I don't want to let people totally off the hook because this information is out there now. And if you are a dietitian or nutritionist or a doctor, please read.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Don't just follow everyone, lead. All right. The book is Deep Nutrition, Fat Burden Fix. I can say, Dr. Kate, you have changed my life. As far as after I got out of my COVID state and got back to real life, I feel so much better. I don't feel bloated. I feel healthier. And uh, that's why I believe in what you say. So thank you so much.
0: That warms my heart. I mean, that's why I do this because it's like I, I want to make the people like you who want to know what to do and will do it and can do it feel
1: better. You deserve to. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. All right, Dr. Kate, I appreciate you. We'll talk soon, okay? Okay. All right. All right, for everybody else, thank you for listening to the pod. Here's the deal. AGT, crossing my fingers, i make it to the next round. Please, 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 please. Share the YouTube video that's attached to this link. Uh, let's get the views up on it. I really appreciate you, Dr. K. Thank you so much once again. Check out her book, Fat Burn Fix and Deep Nutrition. It, it's really helped me out, and she even puts the foods you can get to uh, change your life. Like it's not about changing your whole diet or changing what you eat right away. You can supplement different things and take your time. I did it fast because that's the way I operate. I just want to get it done and. Um, yeah, I'm feeling great. I'm looking leaner and, uh, I feel way more healthier. So I will see you guys next time. Thanks for checking in. The Michael Yo show. Y'all have a great one. Okay. Bye.